Welcome to another episode of Commentary. This episode was recorded in 1998 for the DVD release of Out of Sight. Our guests today are director Steven Soderbergh and screenwriter Scott Frank. And they're really funny in it. They're both dry and sardonic, and they just roast each other throughout the whole thing. Scott Frank keeps roasting Soderbergh for making obscure movies like King of the Hill, and then the director points out things that Scott Frank wrote that weren't important, and then Frank comes back with what he thinks Soderbergh got wrong in the movie. It's like Billy Wilder wrote the commentary. It's just like what you would think a typical screenwriter-director's relationship would be like. They need each other, and they have a clear vision of the story, each of them, so inevitably they have words. In it, Soderbergh talks about which filmmakers he ripped off, which is always kind of interesting, and they discuss the editing process a lot. They especially talk about how the piece changed in its translation from its original form as a novel, to then draft after draft of a screenplay, to shooting script, then to dailies, which is the raw, unedited footage that's captured during production, also sometimes called rushes, to then the material that they cut together, and finding holes in that material and having to go back to shoot additional footage during post-production. So there's an interesting perspective here on what making a studio picture seems to be like. There's heavy involvement from the writer, how much input and what responsibilities to the storytelling producers and studio executives have, and they talk a little bit about test screenings. It paints a really interesting picture of stuff most people never really think about. And they drop a lot of really cool pieces of trivia, like Michael Keaton reprises his role from Quentin Tarantino's movie Jackie Brown, which is also based on an Elmore Leonard novel. And some advice, like, quote, shooting on Collins Avenue in Miami is not something you want to do, end quote. All in all, I would say this is probably a two, two and a half out of five on the listenable scale. It's a fun commentary, but it does a lot of picture referencing, so it's easier to watch along with the movie. But if you've seen the movie recently and you can kind of remember some scenes, you could certainly listen to it as a standalone piece. Otherwise, if you're streaming the movie at home, wait for the sound. To sync it up at the beginning of the film. Here are director Steven Soderbergh and screenwriter Scott Frank in 1998 for Out of Sight. Uh, here we go. Another episode of a couple of white guys sitting around talking. About their movie. Uh, this is Steven Soderbergh. And this is Scott Frank. And uh, now here's a classic example of uh, a stubborn filmmaker. For months, Michael Schamberg was telling me you have to have music at the front of the movie to just set the mood. You know, it's it's no good if it's just quiet because I used to just have the street sounds right. here. And I kept saying, you're wrong, you're right, wrong, you're right. wrong. I got really steamed at him at a meeting at Universal once, and um, I think it's because I knew he was right, and I was really resisting it. Uh, also, for a while, we had to have the Universal music over the logo. That's true. We did, uh, we did win that battle, if you can call it a battle. Um, now, wh at what point... We should talk about the fact that um, when I came onto the project, we didn't have any of the flashbacks at least the draft I read didn't right. have the flashbacks. We used to start the movie in chronological order. 
And then I think after a couple of weeks of trying to make that work, um, uh, you suggested that we use the flashbacks and that we start the movie with this. Which is the way it had begun in the second draft of the script. Which I, I had not read. You had not read. I had done a version of the movie with the flashbacks and the structure sort of fractured. And I, I had liked it. And for some reason we abandoned it, I think, because of in an effort to cut down the screenplay. But I think we lost something. And so I was kind of eager to put that back. Now, at what point in in developing this um, did Barry Sonnenfeld definitively decide that he didn't want to do it? Or did he ever? Def- <laughs> <laughs> as I don't far know. as I know, he decided he didn't want to do it. I don't... I, it was after... It was right before you read the script. It was the draft you read that right. he decided. And uh, we had had a lot of conversations about what kind of movie is this like? What kind of movie is this like? And I right. said, well, I'm not really sure what kind of movie this is like. He said, all right, well, I'll go make a movie where I know what it's like. Ah. Did, uh, did anybody ever ask me that question? Um, no, but we talked about movies that we like. Oh, okay. <laughs> and maybe that was the question he was asking me, and I misunderstood. And you just misunderstood. <laughs> That's probably what it is. Um, this is a wonderful actress that we picked up locally in Miami, Donna Frenzel. She did a great job. It's always nice when you can uh, find somebody locally that's really terrific. And George, this is a key, key scene for George. Um, it came about a third of the way through the shoot, I guess, when we were in Miami. And um, I think uh, we all knew that it was really important. And uh, he really nailed it, I thought. You want to love this guy from the beginning, I think. And you don't want this guy ever to spend another minute in jail. Your first time being around. And this is furry. I don't think I did any tweaking here. This is very, very close to uh, Anne's original assembly of the scene. We may have trimmed it just a little bit. In the novel, the scene comes in the middle of the book, right after he breaks out of prison. Right. They go and rob a bank to sort of stake out their their escape, stake out their their job they're going to go do. People ask me now, was such and such in the book or was it in the movie? I can't I can't even tell anymore. Well, he's older in the book. He is older. Right? How he's, much older? He's 50 in the book, in his 50s. Wow. We were trying to avoid that Hollywood thing of the 50-year-old right, guy and the 25-year-old girl. She's cute, isn't she? Yeah, she seems very nice. That's Mike Malone, who plays one of the leads in uh, Schizopolis, which I'm sure you've all seen. Here's George and his uh, his funny walk. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things in the movie, this lens flare. I remember we were setting this up. I saw Elliot start to put a flag on the front of the camera to get rid of it, and I I took it off, um, much to his dismay. I like flares. It also happens at the prison later, too, with the headlights. Yeah, that's right. I remember being out on, uh, we had to shoot all this on a Sunday on the streets in Miami because it's a very busy uh, place and we had a lot to do. It, uh, it was a bit of a rush. I remember originally in the script, <clears throat> it might have been in the script Barry read, was uh, he got in a car accident. That's right. And the That's car right. woman rear-ended him at a stoplight. That's and right. Cars, no, I remember us... Um, and the bumpers were joined. Right. And they were trying to get the cars apart when the police pull up. That's right. That was in for a while because I remember actually scouting locations for that. And then you and I were... Then we ended up taking this 
we ended up taking that because uh, there were two episode. bank robberies. Right. We showed two we got bank rid robberies. of one. That's right. We had another bank robbery. The one it got kind of complicated because there are two different prisons, yeah. two different bank robberies. This I think was the hardest stuff for George to do because George is a very, very, very good basketball player, and to be bad in front of 500 cons uh, at Angola Prison in Louisiana absolutely destroyed him. He was so mortified. <laughs> it was really hard for him. We're at the, as I was saying, we were shooting in Angola Prison here. These are all real cons we were amongst. And um, I have to say, George made this a lot easier uh, for us than a lot of people would have. He never left the yard. From the moment we showed up on the yard with our cameras, George stayed on the yard. He was very gracious with all the, the inmates, posing for pictures and giving autographs. And, you know, if George had been the kind of actor that sort of blew out of his trailer and then played the tough guy for two minutes and then blew back into his trailer, I guarantee you we would have had some problems. But he was out there all day, every day, and it was... Uh, I know it really took a toll on him. He was really tired, but uh, sure was worth it for me. He was on the set all day, most of the days. Yeah, that's true. George actually shows up early, which is very unusual for an actor. The guy on the right here is Scott Allen, who's a buddy of mine from Baton Rouge, uh, who was also uh, in Schizopolis, which, again, I know you've all seen. You mean the chapel before lockdown? And again, this was a really long scene that we cut down to just a few lines. Right, there used to be a scene in the um, cafeteria. What else was there? was there? Another? Sort of setting it up where he was watching these He's guys. watching them eat macaroni. More exposition on what the breakout was and where it was going to be, but you just don't need it. Here's Luis Guzman, one of my favorite actors, with uh, Paul Swallow, who was from New Orleans, another local hire who's really terrific. He was very popular with in the, the prison. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cons really liked him a, a lot. A guy, actually, when we were shooting that scene we just saw where uh, Chino and Lulu were jogging, just before we were about to shoot that scene, a, a con came up and, and pushed Sir Luis aside and got right in Paul's face and said, I want to ride you. I want to <laughs> ride you, man. And there was a bit of a... A scene there, sort of getting this guy away from Paul. It was pretty intense. That that zoom was was not supposed to be in the movie. That readjustment coming back from the fence, but uh, I liked it so much, I kept it in. And it works with the rest of the yeah, film. Yeah, it's kind of. And George is also more low key here. This whole sort, this whole sequence with the he other. He hates cons. himself though in this scene. He he desperately wanted me to cut that because it was at the end of the day and he was really tired and. Uh, he really felt he was too, too, too restrained, uh, but I thought it was fine. Here's Catherine Keener, also one of my favorite actors. Great outfit. Great outfit. Great production design. It's, it's actually one of mine. <laughs> um, these kind of scenes are tough because you're trying to lay the information out, and I know we made some cuts here, especially later in this dialogue about uh we're trying to set up glenn and we're trying to set up buddy and yeah i know later on she went in, she goes into more detail about her job and everything and we ended up trimming that i was also concerned you know because at the end of the scene he's talking about buddy and he's talking about glenn and the scene ends with a comment about glenn and then we cut to ving who plays buddy and i was always concerned that and he's wearing sunglasses. And he's wearing sunglasses. Every time I see the film, I think about that. Is I that know. Is Do that people Glenn? think that's Glenn? Yeah. But I guess not. 
And even if they do, it's okay. Yeah. Because in this movie, there's a lot of sequ- a lot of time that goes by sometimes where you're sort of not sure where you are time-wise. Well, some people, and you don't, ultimately... some people don't like that, <laughs> as we found in the preview process. This apartment of Adele's is all a set. Um, Elliot and I worked very hard with Gary Frutkoff, the production designer, to make it not look like a set, which is tough to do sometimes. We were uh, overexposing the outdoors a good four, four and a half stops, which helps. Now here's Buddy, as we said, played by Ving Rhames, another good actor, pretty good cast. We were able to put together, pretty lucky. Here, ma'am, let me help you with these. Beautiful young lady like you shouldn't be carrying This was a scene that Elmore Leonard asked me oftentimes why we needed it. He said it's one thing you could cut, because I kept telling him there's so much setup before the breakout. Really? He had always said, well, you could always cut the scene where Buddy steals the lady's car at the Winn-Dixie. And and I thought it was such a great introduction to that character. Yeah. We kept it. This is a scene that wasn't in the book. Again, this isn't in the book. No, that I wanted to. Her father had had given her the the pistol for her birthday, but you wow. never saw the scene. I gee, I always thought it was, and I thought it would be a great way to set up the two of them, their relationship. Right now, did, uh, there are parts of this conversation in later scenes in the book, right at the house. They're in description. There are scenes in in sort of where where Elmore Leonard talks a lot about their relationship and things he has said to her in the past, and I sort of uh, worked them in. Called the them and stuck them here. Yep. Well, that's a great idea. And God, the, good job, Scott. And the <laughs> <laughs> um, Jennifer looks so great here. She's great. I mean, she looks great normally, but uh, I thought it was particularly important for the film that she looked great here. Dennis looks great, too, almost almost as sexy as Jennifer. In fact, for a while, he was wearing that dress, I think, in the scene, and we finally thought at the last minute it might be better. If it was she a little loose it. on him. It was a little loose, yeah. so... Um, Dennis is a sweetheart. You worked with him before. I get shorty. shorty. He's one of those actors that gets it right the first time, every time. Yep. Of course, we shot this down in Miami, and every time I look at it, I think people assume we shot it in Marina Del Rey. Nothing wrong with them necessarily if they're divorced. One thing I miss from the script is uh, there oh, was, here we go. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we never found room for about what her father did and how he worked for her, how she worked for him and a lot of that stuff and yeah I think it's better that we sort of hint at it but you know the movie's about her let's face it <laughs> how about I come over Sunday and watch the Super Bowl together that is Miami I promise I'd like that this was a day too I remember uh, we're about to cut to the prison here but Stacy Sher was talking about how she realized that um, when I when I was watching when I would be watching a scene that I wouldn't necessarily be keeping my ear tuned for letter accuracy, and that Jennifer was um, in the first couple of takes was dropping dad. She was saying thanks for the gun, and not saying thanks for the gun dad. And she came over and said, you know, Jennifer's not saying thanks for the gun dad. I said, but she I, I didn't even notice in the middle of the scene. Thanks, dad. Which right. She, no, which but almost what she was saying. Yeah, but it's a funnier. If she says thanks for the gun, Dad, that's a funnier it's, line. Than it is a funnier line, Dad. But I was thinking as I every time I watched the movie that if I were on the set that day, I would have had her not say the middle Dad. Oh, really? Not Why? say Dad until the last line. No, you gotta tip it. You gotta no, tip you it. You get it. I think you get it. No, but I think you get two jokes if she says it earlier. 
you know, she opens this thing. First you get the joke, she opens the thing, and it's a gun, and then you get her saying, thanks, Dad. Right. Two, two jokes for, you know, for free. Here we are at the prison, which we had to shoot over a couple different nights, obviously, because we're trying to make it all match uh, this magic hour feel, which is always a pain in the butt. But Angola, I mean, the reason we could we had to shoot at Angola Prison in Louisiana instead of the actual Belle Glade Prison in Florida, where an escape like this took place that, that Dutch mm-hmm. used as the starting point for the book, is that no prison in Florida, and especially Belle Glade, wanted us doing anything like this, taking a fence down, digging a hole. Didn't want to give any They idea. just said, forget it. Belle Glade wouldn't even let us inside their facility now, to look around. This with the flowers, too, in the script. Remember, he, he hits, hits him with, with a cross. With a cross. Yeah, Danny was worried about and that. And Danny DeVito, the, the pr- producer, was a little concerned that we might get in trouble for him hitting him over the head with a yeah. cross. So we made. I it did a, often a wonder what a vase full of flowers is doing in the prison chapel, though. Well, the uh, prop guy put it there. Uh huh. These kind of scenes are such a pain in the ass to shoot. All you're doing is doing a little piece at a time and uh, over a couple of nights. They're fun to edit, but they're not fun to shoot, at least not to me, because there's not a lot of performance involved. Now look at that guy on the light. I think that's a brilliant performance. You yeah, really worked with him over a couple of I days, did. too. and very closely. Great shot right there. You're going to get in big trouble for that. I used to have a shot from inside the trunk of her pulling that out, but I... I yanked it. It was better just to do it from Ving's point of view. And there, are, every time I look at this, there are a couple of shots I feel like I didn't get that I should have had, but at least that's inevitable. Like what? What would you have put in that sequence? Um, well, when when Chino and Lulu were running away, I should have had like one more shot of them running where we saw bullet hits in the ground and stuff like that. This is George, as he told me later, doing his James Garner impression. If you listen to him. Jailbreak. Don't point that thing at me. Point that thing at me. Hey, buddy. <laughs> he said that's a total James Garner Rockford Files ripoff. And a journalist actually called him on it. See, now back there, there should be people running around in the background back there. I, don't, I know I could afford it. I don't know why I didn't stick him back there. But who's looking back there? Me. <laughs> the infamous... Uh, trunk scene. Trunk scene. We should talk about this. Um, on the deleted scenes... Uh, we have the original single take that was in the first preview. It was my brilliant idea to uh, do this all in one shot initially. Um, I did 45 takes. I printed take 44, and that was what we put in the movie initially. And then we previewed the film. And uh, it's really hard to find words to describe how derailed the audience became. It just Uh, laid there. Oh, it was deadly. So um, I remember coming out of the preview in uh, Seattle and Casey Silver, who's the head of Universal, who had uh, uh, basically put me up for this job, said, uh, yeah, I like the movie. It's about 15 minutes too long and you got to reshoot the trunk. I said, yeah, I know. Um, so we went back and reshot it to, to make it the way you see now. 
Although actually, I'm glad we did because we we added just a couple of things that helped in the, the dialogue that I think helped. One is the ex-wife, the discussion uh, of the ex-wife, and the other is more discussion about three, three days, days of the, the condor, condor, where they don't. Where talk they sort of reference. There's the subtext is that they know that they're playing out a scene that's similar to. Well, he's hoping they're playing out three days of the condor, and she's saying to him, "You know, I never believed it. Right. I never believed how they got together, giving him a hard time." Which I think helped a lot. Yeah, I do too. So it was a classic case of. Uh, and we cut a lot of his sort of background story that he told about the, uh, the banks he robbed and a lot of the details about. Yeah, we shot it, but we ended up cutting it. It's so hard to tell because of the original version of the scene, I guess, was a couple of minutes longer, if you can imagine that. Um, and then all this driving stuff, it's it seems, uh, it's, it's all a big cheat. Anytime you see the exterior of the car, turning a corner or driving by or that shot of the front and back in the car it was all shot literally at, in in one intersection in one piece of road uh out in um kind of where, palmdale or something near here an hour away and uh every time i see it it looks like a big cheat but i guess nobody notices now we should talk about our actors here who are yeah. doing a bang-up job it's a tough scene. And they did it 45 times. The first time they did it 45 <laughs> times. So they knew what to they do, They did it in rehearsal almost 45 times. That's true. This is probably the most rehearsed scene in the whole movie, I think. Well, as the running joke went, this is the most important scene in the film, which we said every day about every scene. Because that's the way I am, Scott. I think every scene is the most important scene in the film. I think every line of dialogue. I think a lot of things that are not in the film now are... Well, we'll get into this. This is your opportunity to, to sound off. Also, that shot in one take was farther away from them a little bit. Yeah, it was. So you didn't get the sort of intimate feel of all of this. This is not going to end well. These things never do. Turns out I get shot like a dog. And cutting out enabled us to have more, I think, have easier transitions and move oh, no from question. different subjects. I, all of my, I think all of my theories about why uh, a single take would work were correct in a literal sense, and then when you saw them in the movie, they were all completely wrong. I thought it was a great idea at the time. Well, the problem is, and I should have known this too, is that stylistically, it's not like anything else in the movie. The whole movie is sort of cutty and jagged and, and funky, and so to have this one long uninterrupted take it just felt like a different film it was a nice short film uh, mad as hell and i'm not gonna take him with your shit that's george's great ad lib the sort of uh, when he does the getting the network bad wrong Finch yeah. imitation that is nice and we were worried when we reshot it that it would be hard for him to sort of recapture that great kind that's of true because energy that he had when he did it the first time but he did it here we go same piece of road every time I always like that shot. But none of this, none of the close-ups, the sort of punctuation was... It really helped. Oh, yeah. God, it helped a lot. We also we did some minor... I think we restructured one thing in here, but I can't remember what it was. We moved one thing. I know I stole a couple of lines and put them over things. <laughs> You'd probably tell me. You have got to be kidding it's, uh, I don't know. It's always a scary thing. It's, it was, I remember again, the, the script pages of the scene are, it's what, eight or nine pages long. 
And everybody kept trying to get us to cut it down before we shot it. And I kept saying, let's shoot it, and then we'll figure out what to cut. And I, I must have had that conversation with Michael 20 times where he kept saying, you've got to cut it down. And I kept saying, let's just shoot it. It won't take me any longer to shoot eight pages of this scene than six, you know, so let me just shoot it. Also, you never know what's important and what's not important until it's there. Yeah, but you keep thinking as you make more movies that you will know, and then you never do. Turn around and get your hands up now. We may as well leave her. We're leaving the car, and we got to leave her someplace anyway. What's the difference where? Coming with us. I remember George got, uh, was very sick here. These were a tough couple of nights. This, this again, is in Louisiana. Um, and uh, it was getting uh, cold, every, really cold every night, colder than it was supposed to be. And, of course, George is covered in mud and wet. And um, he was really sick. But you can't tell because can't he's tell. a total professional. So I thought it's interesting how the cop drove by and didn't see them sort of hiding by the side of the road. Because they were hiding. <laughs> hey, we could have changed that. The, in theory, there should be a lot more traffic here too, but there's not. And I love this where Glenn has sort of been standing behind the post. Here's Steve Zahn, uh, another terrific actor. I remember when we previewed the movie, when Steve Zahn came on screen before he even spoke people were laughing at him like, he, they saw like him. he was a friend of theirs it was really amazing Jeez, man. <laughs> and it's a t it's a tough role in a way because you could it could turn into a real cartoon cliche and steve is so genuine that it never it never feels like that are you coming out you hear that no i mean we could sit here and poke holes in this thing all night. If that's what you want to do, Scott, we'll do that. <laughs> but that's not what, uh, or maybe it is what people paid for. I don't know. I don't, do people actually listen to these? I'm not even sure. I don't think so. I've never Have we started yet? Is this the actual take? But this is a rehearsal. Oh, okay, good. Those are, the, I like those two shots of Jennifer and George looking at each other. Those are nice. And Ving's reaction is great, too. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's a, now, because it was so cold, actually, this scene I couldn't shoot in Louisiana because the actor's breath was showing so much that we had to stop. So we reshot this after principal photography in California, and again, it was so cold that we could see their breath. And below frame on every shot here, I've got a wall of gas heaters going. If you listen to the track really closely, you can hear the hiss of these gas heaters, which I tried to cover up with crickets. Um, it was like 45 degrees outside. It was so frustrating. But George wasn't sick this time. Again, I look at a scene like this and I always think, gee, no traffic. Shouldn't there be cars going Driving through? by? Yeah. But then if... Movie magic. Yeah, I know. If cars drive by, then, you know, what's this guy doing holding a shotgun by the side of the road? Then who wants to deal with that? Nobody. Jacket. I have been sitting here for over a half hour watching out for the highway patrol you think that's fun God. Steve um, got this part by sending in a tape from um, I think he lives in New Jersey I had auditioned 12 or 13 people with Don Cheadle for Glenn and they were all interesting but something wasn't quite right uh, and I felt bad for Don because I was really wearing him out and then I get this tape uh, that Steve made in his basement um, of him doing the scene, and I saw the first 15 seconds of it. And I doing said, this scene? Yeah. And I said, that's the guy. 
And when I told Don, he was so pissed off. We also found White Boy Bob on tape, too. Stacy Sheriff found White Boy Bob. Keith Loniker, who's a, an NFL, former NFL lineman. She saw him on a show or something being interviewed. And he's, I thought he sent in a video also. Oh, he made a video at his house. He made an yeah. audition tape, too. Lifting up uh, all of his friends. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty erotic. But, um, and this was an all, this scene was also much longer, and we yeah, cut it down. I we think cut it's it way much down. better. And if he goes down, you go with him. Now, look, I can understand if you guys are close. No, but... we're not. But... I don't know why I don't have more going on in the background here. It looks like I could have shot it on a stage. Have you helped him? I think I was just sick of the film at this point. I just wanted to get through with it. I think you'd quit already once or twice. That's point. true. But I have a good AD, so it's hard yeah. to tell. <laughs> Come out of the bathroom with your aftershave on, yeah. and she goes, Oh, I had you all wrong. No, I just want to talk to her again. That's all. I just... no, I see now we're coming up on our first flashback. I know we... Structuring the flashbacks was really hard for us in script form. Very tricky. And I think when I don't think this one used to come here, did it? No, it didn't. And one thing, when people first see this flashback, they think they got arrested for this. Even though it says two years ago, they Even, still Well, we that. changed that. We put the two years ago first. It used to just say Lompoc Federal Penitentiary, then two years ago. Now uh, it started with the two years ago to sort of help. Well, that that that's completely different. Changes the whole meaning of the film, don't yep. you think? Um, but the flashbacks, the whole Richard Ripley story really wasn't in the novel right. to this degree. Richard Ripley was a character that Glenn knew and had met and served time with. But Foley never met Foley him. Foley never met him. None of the other guys and had did, ever and, met him. And, and, uh, correct my memory, did Foley and Maurice interact at all in prison? They had never met. So you invented all of them. Now this was shot. And Maurice and um, um, Ripley had never met either. Wow. Gee, invented a lot of stuff. Uh, this was shot in a prison out in... Palmdale, I think, also. It's a working prison. It's like a holding area for uh, immigration violators. We were working in a section uh, that wasn't being used at the time, and all of these extras are ex-cons. We found a uh, an ex-cons for Christ group and uh, hired like 400 of them uh, to come in. So they had, they had a great look about them. I, I remember during the budgeting... All those tattoos are real, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the guy back there. Um, I remember when we were budgeting the film, Universal said, you know, we'll save half a million dollars if you do the two prisons in one prison. Can't you shoot all the Lompoc stuff uh, at Angola in Louisiana? And I really fought him on it. I thought it was really important that Lompoc, you know, have this desert, parched, uh, blown-out look. And um, uh, so I held the line, and I said, look, You'd save a half million dollars, but the movie would somehow look cheaper if also, you did that. Also, I think what's so great about the way you shot the prison sequences and the the fact that they look so different helps you keep everything straight. Yeah, and I think that there are so many, they're in so many different prisons in the course of this movie. No, I know. I think it would have been so many different time frames that you need to to sort of help out some way. No, I think it would have been really hard. So the uh, the I also chose the yellow jumpsuits. We had many colors that we considered. And ultimately, because of the the desert uh, idea, I chose yellow, and I think that helps so that whenever when you see a yellow jumpsuit, you know you're in a flashback. At least I know that. I don't know about you. This came out later, I think, in the film. This flashback we start or earlier. 
It came earlier. It came earlier while he was in one prison. He flashed yeah. back to another prison, which yeah. I thought in my infinite wisdom that that would help. That if, if he were sitting in prison, he would be able to keep the two prisons yeah, straight. Yeah, it, it might have. And then it was No, I think it was a complete mistake. And I think that where you've got it now works so much better rhythmically. Also, it stopped the movie. Yeah. You're in a big hurry to get well, that's on what with I, the break. I think that's why I liked putting it where it was, because it felt like we'd set the whole movie up, and now we could afford to go somewhere. Plus... What really made me think about it was was George and Ving standing there and, and me remembering, oh, they stand together in the first Lompoc scene. Um, so maybe that'll work. This was the... This is the very first stuff we shot with um, George. This is very... This is uh, like day four, day five of the shoot, and it's George's first material. So he and I were still getting to know each other. Now I shot an extra insert here of the knife going in because people were complaining it wasn't violent enough. And then of course after I put it in everybody was complaining it was too violent. That's not a, it's not a real person. It was a dummy that we stabbed. Really? I thought that was again... Uh, it's the other writer. The other writer, yeah. <laughs> Albert looks great in that bald wig, doesn't he? He does. Now this was one of those things that was in and was out and was back. Oh in right, again. this is on. The, I think this is on the uh, deleted scenes. But also, it was out of the script for a while. The, dream, the fantasy, the whole fantasy. Sequence. Okay, well, on the on the deleted scenes, uh, if you have patience and you want to go to that, actually, you can go to it right now. Um, there's a long fantasy scene here. <laughs> Of of George and Ving coming in and having a conversation about baths and um, oh lots of stuff lavender oil now and vanilla we candles should yeah exactly rosy now the, wine. the idea behind it was this is uh, this was a fantasy from her point of view her fantasy of what George and Ving are talking about Foley and Buddy but it ended up being. T- feeling like two guys who were completely in love with each other right they were t- too aware of sort of what they yeah. were talking about. Uh, so it it didn't work. So I cut that dialogue out, and we left it just with this. Now you invented this, obviously. This isn't in the book. No. As as and the a problem, way of keeping them in each other's minds. minds. This and the later phone call that he makes to her. Right. Because the problem in the book, you're always reading about how they're thinking about each other, and it was sort of the challenge was making that work in the movie. Right. She's <laughs> great look on her great face. Look. I know. Of course, we had to close the set during all these scenes. I don't, I don't even think I was present. Well, I was peeking over the top of that wall. Is you that just you? can't see me up there. I was. It was tough to gauge how long you could kind of get away with this. Because you can feel when you watch well, the movie, gets, people are going, what the hell wait is going a on? Here's my favorite look she gives in the whole movie. Right. This little... There. Right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I showed her... See, I, I had script, to show her how to do that. It cuts on, hey. He says, hey, and you cut out of the scene. And this is so much better what you've no, done didn't, here. Didn't, you, had, you, had, no. uh, you had dad going, Karen, Karen. Right. But it's, it's, it's not as long as this. It's pretty quick from hey to the next scene. And this is so much better. Because well, it is kind of, over the top, and you do yeah, want right. people going, come on. <laughs> and the fact that she puts her gun down is just great. Right. Karen. You were 
talking in your sleep. <laughs> I tried to get a bigger lump on her head, but couldn't afford it. Here's my friend Wendell Harris, who uh, wrote, directed, and starred in a movie called Chameleon Street, which won the uh, grand prize at Sundance in 1990 when I was on the jury. And um, I got to know him a little bit, and we remained friends. And uh, I don't know, I wanted somebody to play Burden who wasn't, you know, who you hadn't seen before. And he's got such a such an interesting, odd presence. The whole rhythm, the way he speaks, yeah. is so kind of frustrating in an interesting way. And he's great with her. That's nice of you to offer, Karen, but I got... This scene was a lot longer, too, I'm sure. I'd probably cut this way down. Instead, let's talk about how you got that bump on your head. Isn't that my file you're holding on to? Yes, but I... Now, we're about to go into a little mini flashback here, which uh, I always like that. I mean, that... Is this... He do, he'll do this a lot in his books. He'll yes, do he like will. a little... He'll, go he'll do a mini and, time jump. Yes, he will. Play something from a diff, someone else's point of view. Right. This we shot on an actual bridge in Louisiana, and you look at it now and you think it and looks like rear screen. And they're all of this, and it's great. Did I say that? No, you didn't. <laughs> all of this stuff this is very This breaks fine. my heart every time I see it. I had a crash camera IMO in the center barrel... Uh, of that thing about a foot off the ground and it and I, I never ran a video tap on any camera the whole movie but right. since this was like a crash cam I ran a video line to it and we're watching the stunt and the car spins at us and uh, the the rear wheel comes right into the lens and we watch it on video and we play it back and we're all excited I mean it looks amazing it just completely you know destroys this camera so um and I go, we run over to the crash box and we look at it and the guy checks in the footage you know to the right. footage has gone through and it has and you know great everybody's happy we get the dailies back and something had some the shot comes up and you see like a wheel in front of you that then goes away in a bunch of water and then the the film runs for another 40 seconds of this empty frame there what was happened? something wrong with the trigger and the the camera started on impact and then ran for 40 oh. seconds <laughs> <laughs> and that was you kept saying when we all saw the dailies we kept saying are you sure that's a big enough crash uh, and everyone kept saying to oh, you yeah. no, Michael, you're going to have to reshoot that crash you're going to have to reshoot that crash and you would say no 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 wait till I cut it with sound and sound makes a huge difference sound makes a huge difference and then you just added the little piece where she hits her head I yeah think. I did shoot uh, the extra piece of her head hitting the window which I thought we needed and uh, but it works great no I mean Anne, Anne came up with a way to make it look worse than it is but if you could have seen the shot it, the it was heartbreaking it was so heartbreaking so what I get for using a video tap I jinxed it yeah you're one of the few people who, who don't use a video tap anymore. I think it's a mistake now I really do I used it for years um, I think it makes you passive I really do I think it pulls the um, 
the energy on the set away from where it ought to be, which is where the camera is and where the actors are. And it also, I think, gives the illusion uh, to other people standing around that they're actually making the movie by watching the monitor. And um, I found that we moved faster and... Uh, monitor's good for the producers, though. If you can oh put boy. it off the set they were, and they out were, the door. They were wigged out the first day. <laughs> but it was, it's a good way to sort of keep them busy, just find a monitor. And... I, they were busy. They were just doing other stuff. And here we are, another flashback. Now, you invented this from scratch. Yes. Uh, this doesn't exist in any form in the book. And it's, it's actually one of my favorite scenes. Sort of a way to kind of create the sort of a conflict between Foley and between Maurice and set up the... Oh, yeah. No, it's really... The sort crucial. of fight over Ripley. This was the example that I always used in, in the hundreds of interviews about you that I gave of your ability to, um, to mimic uh, or reproduce, I guess I should say. What's the kindest word I can use? Rip off. Rip off uh, Dutch's voice um, because he, you know, he has a very specific rhythm. But the, the thing that he gives you, which is the great gift, is he gives you such good characters, it's, you know, you can always infer where they might go or what they might say, I think. Ah. That's going to be like five C's. Five. Hey. But you had, you'd been a big fan of his before he did Get Shorty. I had that's been why, what, stealing from him for years. That's why, that's why Stacy was the one trying to champion you for that project. Yes. Because you knew her from way back also. And this was a scene that got better in rehearsal, too, I think. Yeah. Like Dawn and the, the whole shake thing when yeah. we rehearsed that. Right. A lot of that came out of the rehearsal. Although yeah. I was very quick to put it in the screenplay. Well, that's good. That's a smart writer. That, that, how much? That's a C note. This is another, another scene that was really early on in the schedule for George. And I remember um, really just talking to him about... Um, Keep, you know, simplifying, stripping everything down, being very, uh, very still and very um, simple. And um, he's really good in this. I think it, it takes, for any actor, I think it's a hard thing to believe that you can sort of stand there and do nothing and still be compelling. And, um, but I think he, I think he, you know, he he's understood that. You know, he has great stuff to say and great stuff to do, and that all he had to do was just play Lovely it. says, I don't smoke. <laughs> yep. This is good, too, is uh-oh, which I cut out of thing used to say uh-oh at the prison. And... Which I've never forgiven you for. I know. Says uh-oh twice at the prison. Rank number 32 in the federal prison system. 32? That's right. Out of what, 20? It's <laughs> funny. Man, kick this cracker's ass. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> nothing, you know, just reading this fundamentalist shit. We just got all excited. Now. Done. Clear out <laughs> of here. Now. No problem. All of you, let's go. We had to really, this was one of those things. We shot this down at Lincoln Heights, downtown L.A., or wherever Lincoln Heights is. I just remember showing up there very early. We had a lot to do. It was really tight because we had... Um, a couple of different scenes to shoot here, including... It's a fake fish, we should add, right? It is? Yeah, oh. just for the ASPCA. No, it is, it is a fake fish. Believe me, folks, the, uh, the animal rights uh, people are very on top of things these days. A scene we cut, then put back into the movie. That we we shot. did put it back, because... Um, Jack! 
See, now I always like that. You, I remember you calling me and saying I'd turn this movie into a sitcom after you saw this footage. Do you remember? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> Not this movie, this scene. Well, yeah, but I think you were you were implying that I was turning the whole movie into a sitcom. That ha that came out of rehearsal. We did it once in rehearsal, and George wasn't paying attention. I thought personally, I thought it was funny, so it stayed in the movie, and always gets uh, a huge laugh I should point out. In fact it's such a big laugh sometimes we have to stop the projector sometimes to, let to people, wait for people to, wait. to stop laughing. Exactly. Did it get a big laugh in Deauville? Uh, no people were sort of scratching their heads when they said uh, yes it did get know, a big The French laugh. get everything wrong anyway. Got a huge laugh but... Karen? Yeah no that scene went back in because um, some in an early cut somebody had mentioned to me why they said they 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 felt like there wasn't uh, uh, any sort of momentum uh, or energy to to go to Detroit. They didn't understand. They didn't understand why Jack was being so casual about hanging out in Miami. And I said, "Well, there used to be this scene where Buddy is saying we got to get out of here." And and this person said, "Well, yeah, I really think you had to put that back in because I felt like they were being a little too." Uh, and we thought simply by cutting a lot of scenes leading up to Detroit that would help them. That it would help us get. But we actually added more scenes in, and it shortened it all. At the yeah, same it's time. weird. It's weird that way. Now here, of course, is Michael Keaton reprising his role, from his Jackie role Brown. as Ray Nicolette from Jackie Brown, which um, I think was a Stacy idea. And so we uh, he appears in both books. We should point out. And uh, we called up uh, Tarantino and asked him what he thought of the idea, and he thought it was a really good idea and actually was nice enough to uh, bring me into his editing room and show me all of Keaton's footage uh, from Jackie Brown. And um, so I could get an idea of where Keaton was going with that part to see if it really uh, fit with what we were doing. And we got a hold of Keaton, and he came down and did this just as a favor for nothing, uh, which was really nice of him. And he's hilarious in the movie. Yeah, he's great. And to to our knowledge, this was a first. Uh, a character that appears in two completely unrelated movies played by the same actor. As far as, as all of us could determine, uh, nobody had ever done this before, which was part of its appeal. Um, and he doesn't... He doesn't um, sort of, a lot of times when you do this, it sort of takes the, the weight off the rest of the scene. You're too busy paying attention to Michael Keaton, and he plays it great, so that yeah. doesn't happen here. Now, again, here was an idea you came up with to have Foley call in the middle of this scene, which this scene does appear in the book. The conversation between her father uh, and right. Nicolette. But uh, I thought this was a great idea to have this phone call in the middle of the scene. You always worry in a movie, though, when you have a scene that's a phone call. Uh, but I, I. But we needed the other, the flip side to the fantasy. Yes. Was the phone call? I think. No, I agree. But I was really worried that this was just going to be deadly. Um, but was also in the back of my mind was was not worried in that I knew all the performers were, that the actors were really good and that the scene was was nice. But you what? just. One other thing you did visually here is this all. Her father lived on a golf course originally. Yes. We moved it to. To this place, to the inlet, which is much better to look at than a golf course. I agree. I agree. No, we found this great little place uh, in Miami. Shows up at the house, says he misses a little girl. She feels sorry for him. Next thing you know. And this is a tough one because a lot of this dialogue about they're talking about the newspaper article is confusing because you're not yeah. exactly sure they're talking about. They're about yeah, they're Chirino talking about Chino. Yeah. 
but when you get to the the point at the end, I think. I think it, you can still make the point about cheating on your wife, and yeah. you still understand, even though if you're even if you're not sure that they're talking about Chino at this point. That's true. He died a couple of years afterwards in charity hospital by trying to make up for all the good I remember time. we did a lot of takes on George on the phone call, but I can't remember why. It was a long scene. I know, and so we were trying to make sure we got it right. This again is a set. Buddy's apartment is is all a set, and Elliot and I are really blowing the windows out of here to make it feel like Miami as much as we can, or at least make it not feel like a set. So she's a married woman, but she goes to bed with a prison escape. Michael does a great take here. It's the noose tightens around his neck. <laughs> you don't reveal her name. Well, that makes. And again, it just doesn't matter who they're talking about. Yeah. what they're talking about. Well, I, it's, I think that's true of everything in the script. I think the words in the script are irrelevant anyway. I agree. Yeah. If I could have found a way to get rid of them, I would have. Just silent. It's a good experiment sometimes during rehearsal to, to tell people to play the scene through without saying anything. Good talking to you, Ray. Yeah, you too. It's useless, but it's fun. <laughs> This is a video sh footage that I shot of Michael Keaton. This this was video footage that was staged and shot by John Hardy in Louisiana during post-production with a bunch of his buddies, his gun nuts. <laughs> Man, Chino's running for his life. He don't give a shit about you. No, by now I give him up back at Glades. I always wondered whether we shouldn't have identified Chino earlier, but by name, I mean. Mm -hmm. But it's too late now, I think. We could send out mailers, I think. Maybe we should make a little insert a little to go insert. with all the DVDs. Just a little picture of Louise. This guy's name is Chino. Yeah. I think people would enjoy the movie more, if that's possible. Oh, okay, okay. So you call her up and tell her don't talk to any Cubans. Uh, the phone's probably tapped by now. Yeah, you're right, and if the phone is tapped, you know they have a place to down. Shit. Here's another... These are... These are two scenes that went in and out, and again, having them come out when they weren't there, it confused people more when he showed up uh, mm -hmm. at the apartment, and as a result, even though the film was shorter, it felt longer because people were confused. Um, I remember hearing the story about when the uh, Chimino was working on The Deer Hunter, also a universal picture, and... Um, Universal at one point made him do a shorter version of the movie, which they tested, and it turned out people liked it less because the uh, it actually made less sense mm -hmm. to them, and they felt, you know, less at ease that the rhythms of the film were such that you know it needed to be a certain length. And when they put the film back to the length that it ended up being, uh, the previews uh, went back to being successful again. So it's a weird. It's a weird thing sometimes because I'm the first person that wants to cut stuff to make well, things Well, sometimes move it's faster. not about fewer scenes. It's about making those scenes work better. Right. Which this whole sequence is, I think we spent the longest time cutting and reworking this sequence. Yeah, well, in the book and At in the point, early drafts, he, sees her, he passes her, he's walking, walking and he sees street. her on the street, which I had trouble with. So we ended up doing this. Shooting on the... Collins Avenue in Miami is not something you want to do, trust me. That was a real pain. George is very popular. People uh, people definitely want to get a look at him. Oh, here's a funny 
Well, I think it's funny. That shot of George, I shot in my apartment in L.A. with my airy 2B camera that I shot Schizopolis with. We needed an insert, and, and I didn't want to hire a crew <laughs> to do it. So I took this picture and stuck it in a frame, put it on my desk in my office in my apartment and, and shot. shot it uh, <laughs> on 100 feet of uh, short ends and then brought it back to the office. Now, here's a scene that we cut the hell out of. Worked. It was one of the first scenes shot. It was the first thing that we shot, um, and I really liked it. The long version of it is uh, is in the deleted scenes section, and it's full of information that we. Yeah, it's was all pertinent. exposition, but the style of it, um, since it was the first thing we shot, the style of it, uh, I really liked because I was trying to come up with a looser, freer uh, feeling, and um, you know I'm running two cameras here a lot and shooting handheld a lot. And uh, they were fun scenes to shoot. Catherine's great, and um, just the way it was covered was great because it kept changing. You kept moving. Yeah, the scene were, would take place in the bedroom. Would take yeah, place, it was all over the apartment. Up, and anyway, I hated to lose it, but boy, it was. God, I can't. I look back on it now, and I can't imagine why we thought we needed all of it. Why did we? Um. <laughs> I don't know. I guess when you're. I don't even remember what they were talking about now that much. Well, it was all, it was all stuff. about her and Jack, her relationship with yeah, Jack, when right. they were married. Right. And Karen saying, uh, you know, when did you talk to him? And right. he called here the day you it's escaped. Sort of, you're, I, I think we did it to sort of show Jennifer's sort of seduction of Catherine a little bit, how she works to sort of get her to talk and all of that. And right, and then you see the movie and you just... Who cares? Yeah. Well, you just believe that she would open up to Karen. Anyway... Tell him that he has to wait in the hall, that you have to get dressed. Say it loud. Wait in the hall, you have to get dressed! Wait up, man. You tell me where I can find Jack, and I don't bother you no more, Yeah, I uh, shot a lot of footage for this. I don't know where I'm he is. I'm the guy that helped Jack escape from prison. Mira, please open his door. Now, this scene, originally, what's coming was much different in the screenplay. That's right. He used to come in. He had the gun. What used to happen? He had the gun. He saw Adele, put the gun on Adele. Right. And she put the gun on him. Right. I think I wanted more slam-bang action like the shots we're seeing here. Well, it was the police advisor who said it wouldn't work. No, I said, what else can we do? He said, well, you could do this. We were standing, I was standing with Chick, the tech advisor, at the door, and he said, well, you could do this. You know, he could pop this thing out and he could reach in and... Because what I didn't like about the other thing was that it was a standoff, and then he just backed, he backs down ostensibly because he believes that she will shoot him. That she will shoot him. He um, says that to her. But I felt uh, that, that that was anticlimactic. You know what I mean? Daniel Burden, please. Karen Cisco. This was tough to cut. It was, it was I mean, I'm, we spent a lot of time on it, this back and forth. And um, a lot of material was cut out of it, too. It used to be much longer. But it was kind of a tricky thing trying to go back and forth here and get the jokes of him still asking about how you saw the woman in half. We cut this way down, too. Yeah, yeah. It was a much longer kind of scene. And they separated, and that's it. Uh, how do you get to I don't, I don't get that. You bring Chirino in, and you can be on the task. And I, I decided at the last minute, because all of it used to take place in Adele's apartment, and we didn't see a burden, and I decided at the last minute uh, to shoot Wendell, and we threw together his office, 
I mean, if if you chose to go back and look at it, you'd see that it's basically two walls that Gary Frutkoff pulled out from behind another set, painted gray, stuck some shelves up, and I shot it in uh, like an hour. Um, and I'm glad I did. The only thing about that whole scene is it's a little broader than than the other violence. You're being very. Scene. You're you're describing that in a way that's. Uh, a lot less uh, heated <laughs> than when you saw the dailies. If you were Glenn, you wouldn't be thinking. Remember Snoopy Miller's Oh, God, time? I wish I'd, you know, I shot this with one camera this day, and I should I so much wanted a close-up here of thing in the other room, and I didn't get it. Ruins the movie. This, again, is kind of a, editorially took, a little work this whole sequence because we're going back and forth and back and forth and there were trims that were made and some slight restructuring and again this was an example of something where I thought you needed exposition and you just don't how they found the hotel you find out later right and also the fact that he's so calm on the phone in the scene before this right. telling her to race over to the Adams Hotel I watched when I would watch the film I would think well people are gonna it's gonna confuse them and it just doesn't matter right most things I thought were important just don't matter, I've decided. I know. I keep trying to tell you that. Yeah. A ram on a metal door makes a lot of noise for what good it does. I got a shot clock around for my shot. This is a, an actual Adams Hotel in Miami that um, is a residence for uh, people of a certain age. We're on a set here. Uh, this lady was terrific, Connie. And uh, I love <laughs> George's expressions here. Fuck it. Let's take the stairs. Karen. Karen. Take the radio. I used to start this scene with a... There was a montage of all the people uh, in the lobby and the guy playing the piano, and ultimately I had to get rid of all that stuff. It just didn't matter. A lot of stuff didn't matter. A lot of fat on this movie. Yeah. I'm telling you. The first cut was long. Is this your floor, ma'am? Is this your floor, ma'am? Oh. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. I'm... This is one of those things when you're shooting, it ends up being, again, this is all upset. We're on a stage, this elevator stuff. And it's, it's shot not near anything else. You're just shooting it by itself at some point in the schedule when it's convenient. You have no idea whether it's going to tonally fit in with everything else that you're shooting around at months apart. It's really frustrating and a little bit frightening. And then comes my favorite moment in the movie. Well, it's a great moment in the book, too. I mean, this is almost exactly what's in the book. Verbatim. This, yeah. But, but they're great. They don't overplay it, which is really nice. And didn't you slow it down on the wave? Didn't you shoot it slower? I don't think so. That's a but good the idea. The fact that he's still got his hand up in yeah. the elevator, I love that. That's a good idea, though. I should have slowed it down. I thought you did one where it was slower. I might have done a 30 frames job. I think you're right. I think I did do one at 30. You know what it was? It was, um, yeah, there's one shot of him just staring at her that's right. 30 or 32. She's in the lobby. Yeah. Where I live, no doubt they know what I drive. We gotta dump this car. I remember shooting this day only because outside the driveway here, um, 
which you used to see them pull out of, you don't anymore. But it was lined with people who For wanted George. to see George. Yeah. And then what you did here was great. The whole wrap around the building yeah. on her. Well, it's nice when you can try and tie people together. Here we are in Miami airport. We wrote this last minute to sort of help explain how she knows where they're Did going. We got, I don't even remember. Was yeah. I there? This is a, something I think that Michael wanted to cut out of the movie. I'm sure. But I felt you just needed to know she can't just show up in Detroit. No, I agree. I agree. But how you do this sort of exposition. I, you just shoot it and hope for the best. Well, I think you keep it on the characters, too. It's He's more worried about why she's what she's really up to. Right. Here we are on our way to Detroit. This footage is some of my favorite in the movie only because uh, I flew to Detroit, me and John Hardy and two guys, and I shot all this stuff myself on January 14th, 1998, my 35th birthday. So on my 35th birthday, I was on the front of an insert car with a movie cam camera on my shoulder shooting this stuff. It was cold as all get out. I had frozen uh, tears going down the side of my face, but we had a lot of fun. And again, the whole look of the movie changes all of a sudden. Yeah, which is fun when you get to... What we did in Detroit was um, uh, we would either pull the 85 filter completely um, to, to really cool things off, or we'd go with like a half 85. And the difference there when you do that as opposed to just trying to cool it off in the lab is that when you shoot it, if you go without the 85, the blacks have some blue in them. Mm. And so even when you time it back to something approaching normal, it still has this sort of metallic, you know, gunmetal blue feel to it, which I really wanted to keep. It looks great. Yeah, it's nice. And again, it sort of defines this whole section of the movie the same way the yellow jumpsuits and the whole look of Lompoc define that section of the movie. Well, we're... Um, and Miami and the... the pastels and the yes, colors right. Miami define that section. Miami was tougher. This is easy. You know, you think of Detroit in winter, it's easy to say, oh, I want to go with kind of a monochromatic look. But trying to find a way to shoot Miami that you feel isn't a cliche is really hard because that town has been done to death. And uh, that was kind of a struggle. We tried to avoid the colors that we all associate with Miami Vice and stuff like that. So we ended up going more with those corals and mm -hmm. those yellows uh, than with like the the, the aquamarine uh, orange kind of thing. And Steve Zahn is great in this whole sequence Well, yeah, right here. they're all great here. This is Isaiah Washington, a, a terrific young actor as well, who really brought a lot to Ken, right I have there. to say. Yeah. On paper, he's just a sort of one-note psychopath. He's a rapist. Yeah, and and Isaiah keeps him scary, but he's got something else that you can't really describe or, or write, uh, you know, in text. I mean, he went and did all this research in Detroit and came up with this whole thing with the hair, you know, the finger wave that mm -hmm. he has in his hair, which is really creepy, all that stuff. I think for the most part in this movie, the actors all brought something to Oh, yeah. Completely made it, elevated For the most part, everything. what does that mean? I mean, completely. You mean some people didn't? Do you well, want to elaborate? Them all the credit. No, I'm oh, saying, okay. you know. <laughs> These are fun scenes to shoot, driving around uh, on an insert car in uh, December in Detroit. You can actually see, if you look closely in a couple of these scenes, especially with Don, you can see his breath. It was so cold that you could see his breath even inside the car because I couldn't have the heater on because of the audio track. But they're, the two of them are great in this. Pissed you off, man. That is your problem, not mine. Fuck. 
I know you're supposed to be cool and everything okay, but you ain't got to give me no tone of voice. Like, you don't like what I'm saying, you just bounce the fuck up. Don Cheadle, you know, one of the uh, Amazing. best actors on the planet. I think I say in the, uh, in the documentary, if you can get him in your movie, then uh, get him in your movie. He's so good, and you end up, he's so interesting in this movie, it's almost, you don't want anything to happen to him either. So oh, it becomes the bad guy, but in a way, he's oh, just I wanted so something interesting. To now, the reason Steve, I think, really works in the movie as well as he does is that he plays the second half of Glenn as well as he plays the first half, because this turn that he has is really crucial. Right after this. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people that I read, you know, they'd get the first half, but the second half of him being just hollowed out and, and terrified, um, Steve just, he really, he just, I don't know, he just looks completely, you know, out of his mind. Now this was shot in post, and I did it all on him, because I didn't want to... Uh... Well, this was in the screenplay, and then it was out of the screenplay, like right. a couple of other scenes. And then we thought we needed it again after we saw the film cut together. Yeah, but I didn't want to show what everybody was up to, because I felt like that's what everybody does. But this, which is all you, is great transition. Yeah, I don't know if it means anything, but it was fun to shoot. We found a lot of meaning there. Oh, okay. This is the actual Kronk gym in Detroit, which um, is pretty famous within sports circles. There used to be a scene in the car here, which is also on the deleted scenes uh, after the film's over, with uh, Steve and Don, which is really good, of Glenn freaked out. But I think we felt we got the idea. We got it. And we also cut out the... Uh, oh, I should have... I forgot the uh, the scene of Jack and Buddy waiting in the car, the tuna casserole. Oh, the tuna casserole story. Scene. I should have cut that together and stuck it on here. Love is funny. Yeah. Oh well. Now we're in the Kronk here again. This is the Kronk, but we're upstairs. The actual area where they train downstairs is a windowless, sort of eight-foot-high ceiling, yellow <laughs> uh, space that it was just physically impossible to shoot in. So I moved it upstairs and went with the more cliched uh, backlight and smoke look, which, you know, what are you going to do? I like the scene, though. We didn't cut that much dialogue out of here. There's no, a lot of exposition, all... but it's all, you got to know it. You can see there just how big Keith Lonaker is, because Ving's not a small guy either. Keith is huge. What? You mean Snoop? Uh, nobody calls me Snoop or Snoopy anymore. Now, uh, is this a good place to talk about the, the do-rag controversy? Oh, I forgot about the do-rag controversy. Because in the script and in the book, uh, Snoopy's wearing a do-rag Purple do-rag. Yeah. And Don... And it's commented on a, yes, a couple of occasions. Right. It's commented on by the other characters. Don felt like he wore the do-rag in prison and he's trying to change his look outside of prison and didn't want to wear it, which I was fine with. Um, but uh, as it turned out, Elmore Leonard showed up this day uh -huh. and asked where's, where's his do-rag do so uh, I said well if you want to go and ask Don you're welcome to and I, I don't know if he did or not I mean I think Don was right I don't think you need it but I think you saw 
This was the this was the only time you had a meltdown because you then I think the next day or the by the time you saw these dailies, uh, we were shooting in the state theater and I was on the cell phone, <laughs> right, sitting on the steps listening to you go off. But you're much healthier than me. You sort of you had your say and then you felt but better. Fine. Yeah. Whereas I, think I, would have, had, I would have just grown a tumor. We had changed a lot of stuff in the back of the car. And it's right. fine. As it turns out, it's fine. But there was a lot of things I missed that we had cut from the back of the car that they had just changed. Right. And I don't mind a change if it's better. But if it's just sort of a change, then I... Well, and it, it's not that it's better, but I think the other way would have been not as good in that... I think Don was right about two things. One, that, that his image should change a little bit. And two, that by the time this film comes out, the references that were made in the script about it were well, so dated. Well, that was the best argument for me, I thought, because I think a lot of them are going to be dated. Yeah. Here we are back in Palmdale. And we'd cut a lot out of this scene here. Oh, yeah. Because it comes at a point in the movie where it's hard to flash back now because we you're put really some of it. Forward. We put some of it in the deleted scenes. There used to be a lot of conversation about the fish, fish tank. And what that, you know, Ripley's whole philosophy about fate and about... Yeah. Which I, you know... I, I would have kept in, but I certainly I got a lot of heat. I mean, I, I know Michael and it's hard because you do every time people get up to go to the bathroom, they go during this scene. Whenever I watch the film, they get up right when we cut back. Did they really? Me. God, Albert's going to be really upset to hear that. <laughs> it's because of where it comes, I think it's really a rhythm thing. Right. And we cut this way down. We as cut well. this way down. Yeah, I think we again we have the uh, I think we have the longer version of this in the deleted scenes with the. Um, the close-up of the head that uh, also you saw really took sunglasses. people out of the You knew this was the same crack house that right. they walked into. It was cold this night, I tell you. You can see it in the close-ups, the breath, and uh, you can actually see the frozen sort of condensation on the tops of the cars, which you can't can't fake that. It was really cold, but you can't buy that well it's i was going to say you can't buy that but actually you can because in titanic they digitally Added put the, the breath, breath uh, in everybody's mouth so you can buy it but i couldn't buy it and this, this is one of those scenes that are always hard where you I know. you're just trying to give exposition and keep it quick and as I interesting tried, as possible I, I tried to cut it and we ultimately figured that that we couldn't cut it because if you didn't have the picture in the newspaper of her, then Jack and Buddy don't know that she's in Detroit. And he can't find And therefore it. you have to keep this scene. Because I was desperately trying to pull it out. For no other reason other than speed. With the address. Thank you, Raymond. Also, there are two characters named Ray in this movie. Ray Nicolette and Ray Cruz. Why didn't we change that? Uh, because we didn't notice. That's really lame. She came up here on her vacation because she likes shitty weather. I think she's after Glenn. Here we are in two, two, uh, this, these are actually, uh, the same hotel rooms redressed, um, in order to save a little money. This whole thing about Ving's sister, about Buddy's sister, was something that we put in and put out and then sort of... Was that in the script? Did he, he has a sister he has that a he sister calls. sister that he calls. I mean, I mean in the book, excuse me. That he calls, who was a nun. Who's an right. ex-nun, who's an alcoholic nun. Right. And we sort of made a bigger deal out of it because Ving, and rightly so, was looking for something more to play right. other than being Buddy the Buddy. Right. And also, in, in the draft I read, I think we saw her get one of the phone calls. Yes. Or, or make a phone she call. She calls, no, you see uh, Karen call her. Right. 
and find out where he is. That's right. Hello, Beth Webster. Cisco, please. But we sort of invented their whole history, which we cut a lot out of in the right. Catherine Keener scene. This is a terrific actress, Viola Davis. Really wonderful. Now, here's one of those things. Here's Viola on a soundstage in beautiful uh, Universal City, California, and then Jennifer in Detroit uh, months later. I, I hate doing stuff like this. Looks there's great. a shot in there's a shot there are two shots in Kafka uh, in a morgue scene near the end of the film. Armin Mueller-Stahl and Jeremy Irons shot uh, on different months in different continents that I had to cut together. It's just so frightening because you're absolutely convinced it's not going to work. This is all a set, which is amazing. A set and translites, and Gary Frutkoff. Uh, and Elliot just did a great job. Looks great. I mean, when I, when I watched the movie, I think it's Detroit. I thought you shot that in Detroit. Did you? Mm -hmm. This is all on a stage. And I was there that day, too. Yeah, well, that's... It's just before you uh, went into rehab. That's right. Yeah. It's a couple days ahead. This was a little bit longer, not too much. I cut the Tuffy reference out and then put it back in, which is coming up here, because it if you don't have it, then Kenneth's thing doesn't, doesn't work. work. But again, another example of all of them making making what's on the page so much better. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I might find Maurice. Yeah, I mean, Moselle is very straight forward on paper. and, and Terrific. You know, Viola just turns her into just something. Just that roomy-eyed thing she does. Yeah. It's just so great. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah, which I don't know whose idea the T-shirt was. I'm assuming it's Betsy Hyman's. Uh, it's pretty hilarious. And again, through research, you know, Isaiah makes reference to a restaurant in an actual restaurant in Detroit that somebody like Kenneth would go to a lot, which is a nice little detail. I love that hair. <laughs> and that move he does. Yeah, it's just great. Great. Isaiah's great. He's in the he's the lead in this uh, new Clint Eastwood movie, True Crime, that I guess will be coming out soon or maybe even be out by the time you're listening to this. Nigga, what? That was another Isaiah thing that he picked up in Detroit. This was uh, this was a fun scene to shoot. <laughs> and they're both great. They're both really good. She she's like a coiled snake here, just waiting. And, and he's she, sort of pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. She says nothing to him until the end of the moment. The yep. scene. I give Tuffy what. All good bitches love best. You know what that is? Doesn't answer him. <laughs> Just gives him that great look. A bone. I'll keep you a good bone too, girl. I used to have music, source music playing under this, uh, but it was too distracting, so we stuck a television, and I sort of slowly cranked it up as the scene went on. It gets louder and louder. And if, uh, if you want to still frame your DVD, you can see the... Uh, the bending stick that she hits him with. The rubber stick. Yeah. <laughs> I should talk about the freeze frames, which I always knew I was going to do from the get-go. I knew I wanted to use jump cuts and freeze frames, but I didn't have a, a plan about where I would use them. I just really went seat of the pants with it. Um, sometimes they it's They really nice. work. I mean, oh, from the minute you see that first one, and with George throwing the tie down, all that, it works great. Well, I stole it from the, you know, the French and British new wave and then I think television appropriated it 
uh, and it got overused. This is one of my favorite shots in the movie there, that wide shot of them with the trees on the car. Look, Jack, there's a chance we'll walk out of there with nothing. I say... This scene came down a little. I remember mm -hmm. we made a couple of cuts, but not too many. Nah, man, it's my sister. Yeah, my sister believes in fate, but not hell. But this is... I, the, the atmosphere of the scene... I had just always liked because it reminded this scene, the cold, the guy sitting in the car, the branches on the window reminded me so much of all those 70s movies that we talked about, you know, whether it was The Last Detail or Friends of Eddie Coyle or, you know, those films. So I always staking out where they're going to go. Yeah. And here we go into our final flashback, which may be the it might be the only one that is in the movie at the same place that it was in the script. Because we moved the other ones around yeah, quite a bit. They'd all moved this around one, a lot. This one always was here in the script and in the film for obvious reasons. We're shooting in an actual building here uh, in Miami that was just spectacular. We came in on a Sunday. We shot all this stuff on a Sunday. One, uh, this whole sequence was shot in a day. And George is so great in this scene because yes. he doesn't want to be there to begin with. He's sort of fighting himself sitting there anyway, this yep. guy. Not sure about this, and then the sort of ultimate humiliation he goes through. Yeah. And when I say this whole sequence, I mean that scene, this scene, and the scene coming up. We all shot in a day. Same building. Same building. Um, it looks a little like the Gattaca Corporation, but I still liked it. They spent tons of money uh, actually designing this place. We, we did bring in the fish tank, which uh, I think is also on the deleted uh, scenes list. George picks up the paperweight and, and destroys it. it. At the fish tank. But actually... Um, George, when he saw the movie, had a handful of notes. They were all sort of editorial notes, and one of them was, he said, I think it's funnier if you cut from me, uh, them saying, uh, there are two ways we can do this, and I say, yeah, what are they? And you cut to him just being dragged out. He said, I think you get a joke there instead of Which me. is the way it was in the screenplay. Really? Yeah. And he was absolutely right. George's notes were actually very good. They were more like producer's notes than actor's notes. But George is great in this. There were three scenes that George has to be absolutely drop-dead great in. This one, the bank robbery at the beginning of the film, and the post-coital scene uh, in the hotel. If he doesn't nail those, then the performance doesn't work, and he really got all of them. And the last scene, I think, too. The yes, in the van. I, I knew we would get that one, though. These are these were tougher. You're saying Albert, you didn't have a lot of confidence in him? Is that, is that what you're saying? No, no. Well, as you know, he was on the movie before I got on the movie, so I inherited him. There was I couldn't get rid of him. Yeah, I know you tried pretty hard, though. Yeah. I remember you and I sitting down writing this scene. Nothing. I saved your ass. So you'll pardon me if I don't want to sit on a fucking stool all day and say, sign in here, please, or, hey, pal, you can't park here, all right? And this is another reason why I think we felt rightly so, that the flashback structure was better. Because imagine imagine seeing this scene nine minutes into the movie instead of, you know, well, 90 minutes into the movie. This scene was always later in the, in, the, in the film. This wasn't, this scene always came late in the movie. I don't think it was no, ever. No, in the, in the draft, the, uh, the, all this stuff played out beforehand. Really? I, I'm, yeah. Why am I not remembering that? I don't know. Selective memory. But if this had played at the beginning of the movie, you'd have had... It would have no impact because you have no emotional investment yet. I don't think that scene did. I think I don't think this. I think this scene always played late in the movie. I don't think so. I don't think so. I love I love how George drew on this. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't even notice it until we were shooting it, and he, and he draw that's that's a George thing. I don't know if that's a Jack Foley thing, but it's certainly a George thing to do. Yeah, okay. I better go call my sister. Now we go into the cocktail lounge. This, um, again, kudos to uh, Gary Frutkoff and Elliot Davis. This entire cocktail lounge is uh, on a soundstage. We explored the idea of shooting the cocktail lounge um, that is uh, on top of the Westin, in which is which rotates and is in a circle, uh, 360 degrees. But it became apparent that logistically it would just be a nightmare. So uh, we built all this, and that's a huge trans light with some um, Christmas lights strung on it to make it look like you know, the lights are going on and off and fake snow and all that shit. Does the lounge look like that at all on top of the Westin? No, it does in the sense that there's a, a gap between the railing and the window. Um, but no, we redesigned the lounge because we weren't crazy about the, uh, the real lounge. Now, these two guys and the waitress are friends of mine. The two guys, Wayne on camera now and Joe, who will come up in a minute, are friends of mine from Louisiana, actors. Betsy Monroe plays the... Uh, waitress, she's terrific too. That they were in the cast of a play I directed uh, in Baton Rouge a couple of years ago that I'm sure you've all seen, um, and I drafted them to uh, to be in this, and they're really funny. This is a good scene. Again, in script stage, uh, a scene I desperately wanted to cut, which Stacy would not let me cut. No, we had. We I had kept telling many her many conversations be, about that. I kept telling her this will be the first scene that goes. I promise you, it's a it's a waste of time. It's a day of shooting, and uh, what can I say? I think it was the actors that really made it, because otherwise it wouldn't. Uh, otherwise, survive. it wouldn't have survived at all. Yeah. No, what I what I should have understood, obviously, that. It's the one, two, three aspect of it that makes George's entrance work. If you don't set these, if you don't set up his entrance, then his entrance has no right. impact. And plus, as it turned out, the scene got uh, some yucks, and people were relieved. <laughs> Joe crashed. Joe is in uh, King of the Hill. He plays the slimy bellhop in King of the Hill, and he's in the underneath. He plays the guy that comes into uh, Peter Gallagher's hospital room uh, that you later find out is a hitman. He's a terrific actor. What two films are those? Uh, those are two... Uh, um, King of the World? Very... Uh, you mean the TV show? Well-regarded Universal uh, pictures. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, both available on Universal <laughs> Home Video, which I'm sure all of you have seen. I think they're going to put uh, the underneath that on DVD. I think it's going to be huge. You're going to talk about that? Yeah. They didn't ask. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite shots in the movie right there. Also the bit with the lighter, which was yeah. Stephen's idea upon seeing, wasn't it? When you saw that's true. No, George that's right. The lighter the thing. Lighter. I was at, um, I was at uh, George Clooney's mansion uh, one day. His huge mansion. Right. And um, I was in the glass booth watching uh, everyone else. Have a good have time. dinner, and I saw George uh, playing with this lighter, doing these things with this lighter. And I remember calling you and saying, "George can do this great stuff with the lighter. We should stick that in the movie." And it became a fun little. Uh, and we were looking for something motif. anyway to have him. Yeah. Um, tell me why you didn't want to cut to the guys at the bar after this for their reaction to George sitting down at the table after she's just blown them off. Why? 
No, I'm asking. Why? Why didn't you want to cut? Because you you want to stay with them. Even right when he walks up, no cut away to the guys. Yeah, sitting. no, you want to stay with them. Huge. The laugh. Au- the audience. Huge laugh gone forever now. Oh, pff, huge. That's laugh. not Biggest true. Biggest laugh in the film. That's not gone. true. Gone. The, the audience doesn't care about those guys. The, the the look on her face when George comes up. That's where the audience wants to be. You don't want to break that spell. You know. Plus, I didn't shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> They're really the two of them are really good here. Right in the scene, and this whole sequence again was written in the screenplay straight, completely. Right on in the, the script, fly. they talked. They talked half. They did half the dialogue here, then they went upstairs. Then they did half the dialogue. They in did the half room. the dialogue on the fly too. They're right. walking through the hotel on the elevator, getting off the elevator, so that they're kissing right. by the time they get to the door. No, and, and I remember calling you and saying, "I, I feel like I got to do something different." Now, for those of you who are looking closely and, and, and are stricken uh, with fear that George is wearing a hairpiece, if you look at his hairline there, George, it was George's idea, and it was a good idea. He actually uh, shaved his hairline up to make himself uh, look a little bit older. And uh, I was always paranoid that... Um, Audiences would just be staring at that all the time, but uh, nobody ever mentioned it to me, but I'm mentioning it now. But he um, is wearing a hairpiece, right? <laughs> George actually has a uh, a descending hairline. That's right. I've never seen hair this <laughs> thick. It's actually growing toward his eyes. Um, all of this, though, is you and Ann Coates, but mostly you. Well, I stole it from uh, Don't Look Now. I mean, I, I remember telling you guys, you remember in Don't Look Now, the scene with... Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie, where Nick Rogue intercuts uh, the two of them making love with the two of them getting dressed afterwards. And there was something about the juxtaposition of those two events that was so intimate that you'd never think it would be. Um, and I decided just to rip that off. Um, but I think people were a little... When I would explain to everybody what I wanted to do, I got a lot of blank stares. Well, in fact, when everyone looked at the dailies, they kept saying, the scene isn't hot enough, the scene right. isn't hot enough. They did, and then when they saw it cut together, uh, um, we brought no, I was, in that other director to help fix it. I think right. it helped a lot. Well, I was, you know, it must in dailies. It was, it was probably hard to watch because I was grinding a lot of film to get, you know, little things like this that are hard to stage, and I was running two cameras all the time and just shooting take after take, and it was really boring to watch in dailies. I didn't realize until the film was done and over that um, this sequence is the last time that I use any freezes that that I think mm. subconsciously uh, I guess I felt the movie had caught up with itself mm-hmm. and that the freezes were always a way of commenting mm-hmm. on something and that once this scene was over that we were completely in the present and that uh, there was no reason to do it anymore um, but I, I don't even remember even looking for a place to use the freezes after this scene. I guess I just felt it was time to stop. But again, from your first cut of the film, the scene has changed very little. The cuts yeah, are no, very... It, it got you just maybe, knew what you wanted to do, and it's... it's no, it's almost it's frame for frame, the first uh, version. I maybe cut 20 seconds out of it in the middle, some dialogue. Again, this is all on a soundstage. And on paper, it's very straight ahead. It's very straight ahead. Yeah, well, it's your job to, you know, come up with interesting ways to do stuff. It's my job to make it as boring as possible, to give you a lot of room to move, I think. Oh, okay. I wish I'd known that. 
I was, thinking, I was thinking the same thing. It was, uh, I kept thinking, what if we took a time out? If we... I tell you, Elliot knows how to make people look really good. You and I would actually look good if we could have Elliot follow us around. There's the shot that, uh, the money shot. The George, money shot. George taking his shirt off. Oh, here's another money shot. Jennifer taking her dress off. Yeah, I did get, I was getting a lot of uh, flack for this scene not being more explicit in dailies. That's true. I remember that. Even from Ann Coates. I remember, <laughs> I remember Ann saying, uh, after she saw the dailies, uh, she's saying, um, is there any more footage? And I said, no. She said, are you sure? I said, yeah, that's it. She said, well, I'm, I'm afraid they don't really go at it. <laughs> I said, well, really? She said, yeah. Uh, I said, well, I, I think it's going to... I think it's going to be okay. She was very concerned that it wasn't uh, explicit enough. But that stuff bores me. Somebody once said, somebody smarter than me, that as soon as an actor takes their clothes off in a movie, you're watching a documentary. And and I think that's true, that you break. You know what I mean? That I break with the film. When somebody takes their clothes off, I'm not watching the character anymore. I go, oh, my God, I'm seeing X, Y, and Z with their clothes off. What did you just off. say? I wasn't listening. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you wanted you wanted nudity, didn't you? No, I agree. I think sometimes if it's too explicit, it, it feels fake. It I feels just, like well, you're trying to be explicit. You know, maybe it's a cop out because I don't know how to shoot it. But then again, I'm all for gratuitous gratuitous nudity. Yeah, nudity on any chance I can get it. Well, I don't know how to shoot it. Now again, here's the third scene that George really had to nail. And, oh, here's a... Uh, and we almost cut it. Not only did we almost cut it, the film was at the negative cutter, and Ann Coates held back this reel from the negative cutter and asked me one last time, shouldn't we put it back in? And I remember standing in the hallway in the editing room and saying... Yeah, let's put it back in. And uh, she had already left it in, and so the, she then sent that roll over to the negative cutter. Um, it went back and forth. I remember there were a lot of people who felt it abs this scene should absolutely not be in the movie, that Barry you didn't Sonnenfeld, need it. Barry I think, was one of the uh, I know Casey advocates. Silver wanted me to cut Casey it. Casey wanted to cut it. Um, but then I remember talking. I had a, I had a conversation with uh, Richard Lagravenez, and Richard said, you know what? At the end of the day, it's not a make-or-break thing. The people that don't like the movie aren't going to like it any less if you cut it out, and the people that uh, do like the movie uh, won't like it any less if you mm -hmm. cut it out. He said, so why not just leave it in? What the hell? And he said, and I guarantee you every other movie this summer that's coming out around it will have cut that scene. And so he said, you might as well leave it. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. The real reason I wanted to cut it is that the lights in the background of this scene um, were pulsating in a way that was distracting, and we had to spend a uh, hundred grand to digitally is fix that right? them. Yep, all of those shots of George are CG uh, fixes with the lights um, uh, made to flicker properly, and the snow was redone, and everything. They did a great job. I mean, you can't tell. We kept this last piece. We we're just going to cut the speech about the bank robbery when we're talking about what we we're going to cut. Oh yeah, right. We we're I just going to cut. Right. I cut a couple of long, versions of this. I and we we're going to keep this last part. She'd go into the bathroom, then come out, and they'd just have this moment. Right. 
And so we'd lose the whole bank robbery speech. Yeah. I knew a guy speech. That was right. That's the other reason that I felt that ultimately we had to keep it was I thought it was it was literally one of George's best scenes. Well, that in the moment movie. when she says you're not dumb, and he says I don't know about that. It's a great moment. Yeah. So George, you owe me, babe. The morning after scene. Uh, there used to be a phone call too, wasn't there? She called her after this scene. She called her dad mm -hmm. and got his script. answering machine mm -hmm. and cut that out, which I'm glad we did. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, how he had this in her jacket and she didn't feel it or hear it when he dropped his jacket to the floor, I don't know. Don't you think you would have heard that? It was in an ankle holster, I think. This is my little Vorka pitch uh, montage here. This is the kind of shit you can do on the Avid and, uh, you know, probably wouldn't do if I weren't cutting on an Avid. And Glenn, this whole last scene that he's in, just... After we shot this scene, Keith Lonecker had a great idea that I wish we'd thought of earlier. He said that he should have been, he should have had a pitcher that he was drinking out of instead of a cup. That everybody else has a cup and he has <laughs> one of those little mini pitchers. These, these kind of scenes are really hard for actors because there's no background noise at all and I you have to keep telling them to scream and it's really embarrassing for them. If you can imagine Steve's on, there are you know, 350 extras there and Steve is yelling at the top of his voice in an absolutely quiet room, I have to go take a pee. But that's why he gets paid the big bucks. That's right. This whole walk. Oh, God. This is all fake snow. It's actually uh, potato flakes, I think. See, the problem with shooting fake snow is that you spend all this time lighting the scene, and then you turn the fake snow on, and then that's a whole other lighting thing. you got to light the fake snow, and then it's usually stuff like this, which is potato flakes, which are actually yellow and which absorb light. You know, <laughs> they, don't, they don't kick any light at all, so you're just blasting away. It takes forever. It's such a pain. I don't have the keys to the car. I see that. No, I mean, I'm not fucking stealing the car. You're not? Again, just Where a great Steve Zahn scene. Whenever it was in West Palm. His ability to play the, uh, the flipped out part. And he gets every single turn. He just yep. nails it. Yep. I made minor trims here, but not many. Listen to me, these guys. They're going to be out here any minute looking for me in their fucking animals man I remember I toyed with the idea of I had I had two ideas to to uh, about Glenn one was that after the credits were over I was gonna have a shot of him in a bar telling uh, his version of what, what happened? happened in which he's <laughs> the central character and the hero um, and you never see who he's talking to it's it's just him on camera talking to somebody off-camera at a bar giving his version of what happened and the other was uh, initially for the trailer I was gonna do sort of that idea that it was gonna be Glenn telling the story of the film and juxtaposing uh, what he was saying with the reality mm -hmm. the, the, that mm -hmm. would obviously be two completely different things. But I, I gave up on that. Instead, we had that other excellent trailer. Whoops. Well, Did I, I know. I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with the domestic trailer. The foreign trailers, did you see those? Pretty great. Those were great.
Maybe we can get those. We should put those on the DVD. The UIP trailers for International are fantastic. It wasn't that I thought the domestic trailer was the worst thing in the world. The problem was I didn't feel that it was... It wasn't distinctive in the way that we tried to make the film mm -hmm. distinctive. And, and so it was a problem. But I, at the time, I couldn't come up with a better one, so... Uh, I guess we should talk about the movie that we're watching. Um, so Glenn runs away here, which, uh, and we never see him again. That's the way it is in the book, isn't it? Yep. No. Or was he at the house? No. She does this. Yep. Okay. Sends him off. This is the, oh, we should mention, this is the State Theater that's mentioned in the book. It's a famous place in Detroit. They do have. Uh, Boxing matches there occasionally. It's a great place. Concerts. Um, oh, yeah. Screen the movie I, I here. I saw. Also. I should mention because um, everybody wants to know about this. I saw Duran Duran here at the State Theater while we were shooting. Really? On a school night. On a school night. Wow. It was very very exciting. Did Actually, Stacy, I, I I met uh, Simon Lebon. It was very exciting, and uh, Stacy Sher was actually a little worried at how much fun I had at the concert. Did you hold up your lighter and I you know I didn't have a lighter. Mm. Shoot. Glenn don't know I changed the plan. This is one of the scenes I remember George. Elliot is the master of edge lighting and the actors here have about two inches of play in order to be sort of perfectly uh outlined and it was driving George crazy, I remember that day. Although he was the first to admit that he loves the way the film looks. I just remember him going, Okay, so I can move one inch this way and one inch that way. And Elliot said, yeah, but within that range, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but it's beautiful. Uh, we brought in the neon, which I think the, the State Theater has kept uh, to give things a little bit more color. Make your deal. Get out of here right now. Crowd scenes, uh, not my favorite thing to do, but necessary. And Don used to have a line at the end of the scene that I cut. You don't need it. No, you don't. It's basically, who does he think he is? Right. Now we're setting up White Boy Bob's uh, tendency to trip for the first time. And what I like about this is it sort of breaks all the rules. We start setting it up ten minutes before it happens. Oh, there's a rule about it. And it works that? great. Unspoken. Oh, okay. Uh, fake snow here. That's digital snow. Well, ideally, you'd want to set it up the first time you met him. But that's it doesn't true. matter. The first time you met him, we had the whole thing that we cut about him leaving the wallet in the house. And... Right, right. That scene is um, the van scene of them driving uh, to the house, which used to be here, is uh, in the deleted scenes list. This is all real snow. Um, we were lucky enough while we were shooting this driving stuff that it's it it came down like gangbusters. We had six inches of snow on the nights we were shooting... Uh, the driving to Ripley House stuff, so we were very lucky. This stuff, that's a little bit of fake and a little bit of real. Um, but yeah, the van scene, which I loved, it was a great scene, but it just, it was taking us forever to get to the house. It also takes takes away from the tension, I think, of we're finally at this big thing. That, that was when I remember about. in script stage saying that we should cut, but that I shot anyway, and then we cut it. A little bit of fake snow there, sorry. This is an actual house in Bloomfield Hills, uh, where the, the action takes place in the book and the script. Um, 
but it was in the process of being built. This the interior of this house um, is not complete at all. So we shot the exterior in Detroit. Every centimeter of the interior Ripley Mansion was built on a soundstage by Gary Frutkoff. Just uh, going to work here. I remember I made a couple of cuts, probably, of them waiting. There's some more dialogue. Yeah. Huey P. Newton. More of that crummy dialogue. Awful stuff. Should always work. Nancy Allen uh, is coming up here. And uh, I was really happy that, that she agreed to be in the movie. I, I'd always liked her and um, uh, wasn't sure that, that she would want to do it. But uh, she said yes. I'm really glad she did. She was really fun to work with and again made that part something more than it was uh, on the script, you know, in the script. The script is just a, it's really just a jumping off point Absolutely. when it comes down just to it. just kind of a sketch. Also in the, in the book. Well, that's right. Ripley's not even in the Ripley's house. Ripley's not even in the house. There are no it? diamonds. The, there are no diamonds There's in the no book. There's no diamonds in the book. Ripley's not in the house. Um, White Boy Bob doesn't, nothing, he gets arrested. Right. Um, Buddy gets killed. Buddy gets killed. What else? Um, there's a kid. Well, who's the kid that's in the house? There's a house sitter, a 19-year-old house, house sitter, sitter named Alex, yes, who's staying there. And he's having, having an, affair an affair with the maid. With the maid, who's 45. Right. Well, I think this is better. And uh, I don't care who knows it. <laughs> well, it's what we were talking about, the difference between, obviously, a book and a movie. I mean, it's stuff that all works great in the book. But in a movie, you've got to funnel the conflict toward well, a something. Actually, it's the only thing in the book that doesn't quite work because you don't know why Jack is there. There's no mm -hmm. guarantee of any kind of money there. He sort of knows already that Maurice is a psychopath. And he, the reason he gives in the book for going to try this is he tells Buddy, well, I've never tried okra before either. That's the line he gives in wow. the book. And, since, and you sort of lose patience with him at the end of the story because you don't know why he would do this unless it's just sort of a fatalistic move. Right. I'm going to go and we'll see what will happen. Well, this makes much more sense. Because he's because not a home invader. He's right. a bank robber. Because it, now it's personalized. Exactly. Okay, we have another white boy Bob trip. You do things in threes. Yeah. We all know that's the rule. That's yeah. number two. In the actual, on the actual same step that he's going to buy it later. Which uh, I, 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 I want to take credit for, but I think we both came up with. And the reason that you're smarter to set it up later in the movie, as opposed to in that first scene, is you remember it better. You remember the sort of one, two, three of it. Yeah, although where else would I would have said it at? There is no other place to. I'm saying that's why it sort of breaks the rules, but it works. Ah. Again, beautiful, beautiful sets here by Gary. And nicely uh, lit by Elliot. Hey, Mo, found some rubbers. Why, <laughs> boy, why the fuck you looking under the mattress? You know dude ain't gonna hide no diamonds under there? Damn, dumb Bama motherfucker. All these relationships, I think, uh, in the movie are feel a lot richer mm -hmm. you know because of the what the actors bring there used to be a little bit more here of white boy bob following uh fully through the house i ended up cutting for time can't stop fucking with the radio man put on a cd i don't know i don't recognize none of these bands mo just pick somebody well how to sing like michael bolton great deadpan reaction here by don what the fuck you want to listen to huh like this was improvised. All improvised. Why well, don't? 
couple of people wanted me to cut this stuff down, but I love these two shots of the hallway. They just sell the house so much. Such a beautiful, long hallway. Now, is this in the book, The Stakes? Uh, yes, they are. Okay. This is a, a fun thing. And Keith looks so happy. Those stakes disappeared, you know. Again, those were real. People were talking about uh, cutting that out. I'm glad we kept that. Who was talking about that? Michael kept saying that it. They Michael too much was. Humor. Michael, was there in anything in the film that Michael wanted to keep? I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, I don't think so. Michael was always trying to get me to cut stuff. Stacy was always trying to get me to put stuff back in. Right. And Danny sort of waited there with his arms folded, smiling, for the <laughs> dust to settle. Barry gave some good notes, though. I remember after the first cut, Barry, Barry was really, really felt like we needed to redo the trunk, mm -hmm. not because a single take didn't work, but that he just he said I didn't feel like they were really close to each other, really touching, that it was really intimate, and he said I, I really think you you got to have that. He was absolutely right. Yeah, but he he had some good notes. Foley, how you doing? What in God's name is happening here? Who's upstairs? Scoopy Miller, a couple of his friends. Maurice. To a couple of these sets, the, the library and the dressing room upstairs, the owners of the, the house in Bloomfield Hills, the oh, exterior, right. they to use it came their house. to visit the set in L.A. and liked these designs so much that they asked for the plans to the set so that they could recreate this room here and the library in their house, which I thought was a very unusual turn of events. Motherfucker! I found a safe, yo! Of course, in the TV version, Don says monkey feather. Monkey feather? Yeah. Uh, which is actually scarier. And again, there was no safe in the book. That's right. That's right. That I do remember. They found nothing. They were walking out with TV sets. Here we go with the stakes. Just, uh... Usually gets uh, a bit of a yuck. These are, this whole sequence was so... Um... Uh... I don't know, difficult because we're shooting part of it in Detroit, part of it in L.A., and the part of it in L.A. we're shooting is being shot completely out of sequence um, because, you know, you have to do each location in the house at a time. So what I ended up doing was I took, um, I took some stand-ins and walked them through the whole sequence and shot stills of everything that I wanted to shoot, put it up on a big board, and Greg, the AD, and I would just mark them off with a piece of red tape after so you knew what every you shot. Yeah, because huh. I just couldn't keep the whole thing straight in my head. One, two, three. Jesus Christ, they're shooting men! Sit down, Dick. They're trying to open up the safe. Now you're made. And uh, on a technical note, Larry Blake, my supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer and I are kind of sticklers about uh, gunshots. We recorded all uh, these gunshots uh, in, on the mansion set um, to try and make them sound as realistic as possible. We gave them a little bit of oomph on the bottom, just EQ, so that they weren't um, too thin. But I always hate when you hear something that sounds like a cannon right. going off in a movie. Richard's birthday. Thank you.
Now in the book, when does I, I can't remember in the book what her function is here in the last part. Oh, the here's book. the wigs. I remember sitting in the hotel room in Detroit. Trying to figure out what we'd come up with everything to put in this safe. That's right. For a while it was going to be change his old or like change. his first dollar that he ever made. We or... had all kinds of stuff. And then you came up with the idea of the toupees, which was great. In fact, I'm completely relaxed. The thing is, I can't figure if it's the fish that are cooling me out. And I was worried that we kept cutting back here and, and that uh, there wasn't enough uh, sort of anxiety. But... And again, this moment is a little different now that we haven't had all the sort of fish conversations. Yeah, the, no, it is. It has a di just a little different meaning, but um, it still works fine. It just doesn't matter. It's about finding the diamonds and getting on with it, I think. Right. But if you look at that other scene in the prison where they're talking about fate and, and what the fish mean fish, to him, yeah. why he would hide the diamonds in there. It's, well, it's much scene, funnier. Yeah, the scene would work if we had that in. Yeah, and it's just directed all wrong, but, you know. What are you going to do? I was in a hurry. Yeah. Had a, you know, try to... You had a dinner engagement, I think, that night when you were shooting. I think so, or I was meeting about another movie. Oh. Oh, <laughs> perennial is a uh, is a running gag with me in every movie since uh, the underneath there's been uh, a company called perennial in some shape or form uh in the film i'm preparing right now the limey there's a perennial shipping company and uh in the football movie i'm supposed to make with clooney uh soon there's a company called perennial so it's my little thing that's interesting thanks <laughs> Now, we did cross-cutting here, and we didn't used to. Um, we went back and forth there. This used, to, the, this used to be the whole scene at the van, and then that whole scene inside, uh, when Jack and Buddy leave and Maurice comes in, used to be all one scene. And very, very late in the game, uh, Anne and I decided to try and cross-cut it a little bit. And it works much better this Yeah, way. I think so. Ving came up with this, which I thought was a good idea, giving Jack his little necklace, even though... Jack uh, is an atheist, I think. Uh -huh. But it meant a lot to He changed to Buddy. Jack, I think, from that point on. Pardon? I think Jack changed from that point <laughs> Yeah, on. he got worse. And I love the way he runs into the house here. He's got this sort of red fox run. <laughs> run. I don't know where he came up with it. It was all his idea. Again, these kind of things, violence scenes are, I don't know, they're always tricky. I'm always trying to look for ways to not have them be um, too traditional. Was it, was it this in the... This is where Buddy gets killed in the book. Yeah, in the book, Buddy is standing in front of the door and gets killed, which we, right. all, we all felt was not a good idea. Where did her throwing the blanket come from? Is that in the book. It's in the book. And then the blanket and then it caught, caught fire, fire in the book. Right. right. Which I didn't want to do because it's too expensive. Again, that's a scene where, obviously, he never gets anywhere near Albert, but the sound of the gun hitting something is so horrific. Well, you hit Albert once, but you can only do that one take. Well, it was the last quite, take, yeah. yeah. Didn't quite get it. Hold it, asshole! Ah, uh, here we go. Probably the single biggest response. In the movie. Uh, in the movie. It's, uh... 
Even even highbrow cineasts uh, laugh <laughs> at this, which is uh, the sign of a good joke. Stay right there. Love that tilt. I do too. It's funny you should mention that. I like the tilt shot too, but I find that that first of all you have to dole them out really carefully, mm -hmm. and that you shouldn't use them for very long. There we go. That was one take. Did that in one take. Uh, of course, in the airline version, it just looks like he falls and chips his tooth. <laughs> uh, we had to, we actually had to extend uh, after the previews the shots of George reacting because people were laughs. laughing for so long. Um, and this fight is just great between the two of them. They... Yeah, again, these are tough. I mean, you just you're just trying to find ways to make it. But the choice that you made to just make it real and have them pulling each other's well, hair yeah, and grabbing right. at each other. No, I wanted it to be messy. At each other. Yeah. I didn't want it to be choreographed, although obviously it's very choreographed because you can't just let actors beat up on each other. No. A situation like this is a high potentiality for the common motherfucker. Don Cheadle line Don right Cheetah there. Line. Pretty good. <laughs> this was a heavy vase, actually. It was breakaway, but it weighed a ton. Uh, yeah, this is kind of messy. That's uh, that's my shot from the haunting uh, that I stole. I think it was Don that came up with the idea of pulling the uh, cap over George's face, which was good. Also, God, you know, there's so many things that we're not mentioning that we should talk about. David Holmes' score, which Great. I think is fantastic, and which which he described as a combination of Dirty, Harry, and the Rockford Files. And I love all those little uh, those little accents there on the close-ups of the guns. The Lalo Schifrin moves. Yeah. Now, originally we'd written this so you would just, he just heard it, you didn't see anything. Yeah, there was a big, I remember there was a big talk about that. And Everyone then was... I was actually the one to say, you know what, I think we gotta see him get shot a little bit. Yeah, you were right. Because, yeah, I was, initially I was going to play all of that off screen. So you don't know who was shot. Right. But I think people would have been frustrated. Again, David Holmes reprises the, um, the cocktail lounge cue here uh, to good effect, I think. And George is great. Yeah, George is really good in this scene, unlike the other scenes. Yeah. You finally found it, I think, in this scene, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was about time. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know what to do with this. Two people in a stairwell. Uh, there's not not a lot of trickery you can invoke, but um, the two of them were so good it didn't matter. You know what I wish? I wish he was pointing his gun at her. I you can't. If he'd done that, if, you can't, if he that. points... I don't care who he is. She's a federal marshal. He lifts his gun up. She's going to shoot him. He wants her to shoot him. And she does. Okay. I just, you know, I thought it was a good idea that you had that he takes all the bullets out of the gun. Right. But if he'd ever lifted his gun, she would have shot him immediately. I mean, I could have done that version, but it'd be, it'd be a shorter movie. Great fall here by George. Watch this. He does a great stunt fall. Come on, shoot him. <laughs> He's good at that. It took me a while to figure out whether I should actually... Uh, remember I had one version where you didn't even hear the sirens right. or the cars outside, but I think it's good that we do. Fake snow, not too bad. 
They used to have a longer conversation here. Yeah. Well, and we, and we, we cut, cut all that this down. before we started shooting. Yeah. But it was a lot about. I basically think you're cool, but I won't 40 years from now. Right. It's and then I did, harsh. we did keep it here. I pulled all the sound out of here, which is um, better. a trick I learned from, where did I steal that from? I stole it from uh, To Live and Die in L.A. There's this amazing chase scene in To Live and Die in L.A., William Peterson. And he's, uh, he's going the wrong way on the freeway. Yeah. And Friedkin pulls out all of the sound except for him breathing. Um, and it's an amazing sort of mm. abstract moment. And uh, Great three little cuts there. Yeah, I like those jump cuts. Um, and I, so I ripped that off. I ripped it off in King of the Hill, too, graduation sequence where you just hear the music and no sound. King of the what? I think we talked about uh, that right. okay. earlier. It's, it's also very easy to get a cab in Detroit. At 2 o'clock in the morning. I know. Large it's black man. No problem at all. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, I know. I was waiting for somebody to mention that, but I guess they were, they were probably gone. Yeah. Well, if people are even still watching the film. At well, that that's what I mean. Yeah. I love that look on his face. <laughs> I was worried that if he seems too happy that, that people were going to think that, that um, I don't know, that, that, that he wasn't worried about Jack. <laughs> we were going to have a scene where Ving actually goes to the airport and runs into Jack Lemon and gives him the diamonds. The diamonds. But um, didn't get around ran to out shooting of time. that. Yeah. yeah. This is one of my, uh, toot my own horse, one of my favorite shots here from the other room. It's always a good idea to look at a shot from another room if you can. And um, I don't know why, I just like it. It's great, and she's great in it, and just using the phone calls to sort of As the voiceover, right, yeah. right. In the script, she's on the phone, I think. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do it voiceover. Once again, damn script. It's a damn script. That little sketch, we call it. Let's face it, every problem we had was, in the was screen with play. the script. Yeah. Um, some more jump cuts here just to remind people that um, Wake them up a we're little. making art. Yeah. The two of them are great here. Got your present. It's a nice little moment. Now, you invented this. This isn't in the book. The, no. the book ends. With she her... shoots him at the house, talks to her dad on the phone. That's it. Where, where did you come up with this idea? This was, I had been talking to Elmore Leonard, and he was telling me a story about a guy who had written screenplays from prison and novels in prison, and he was telling me about this guy and that he had busted out of prison 11 times. And wow. that was the, literally the day I was stuck on writing the ending. And he was telling me that, he started to tell me how good his scripts were, and I went, wait, 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 go back, go back. <laughs> tell me about the 11 times part. And he told me he'd busted out of 11 different prisons, and I th that was the ending. Wow, that's a great idea. And we were fortunate enough to... Rope Sam Jackson into coming in for nothing. Do us a favor, because we all knew that... You needed someone. Well, you needed somebody powerful. Okay. The guy comes in, implies that he's the preeminent escape artist in the country. It's got to be somebody you believe. Yeah. And he's perfect. You believe he's in good hands with Sam Jackson. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he had just finished on the negotiator and he came in we shot this in like two hours he was really terrific yeah now there's some reaction shots of jennifer coming up from inside the van sort of frontal down shots not this not these 
uh, but one's coming up that were very controversial that I avoided shooting for a long, 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 long time. And it, they may actually be the last things in the movie that I shot while I was in post. Um, I kept thinking that I didn't want to tip it too much. This right shot. There. Yeah. And, uh, and Schamberg was all over me. He said, you've got to have a shot of her. Uh, he was right. And, and I, it really hurts me to admit that. Yeah, he was right. But, you know, I tell you, a good producer can be a help. Bad you producer up can The same you, day but... you could have picked up one of the guys at the bar, I think, too. Ooh, didn't even think about yeah. that. Oh, well. Oh, and I got, I got my two favorite Isley Brothers songs in this movie. Fight the Power and It's Your Thing. And uh, that's one of my favorite shots, too. Great her shot. friend in that door. She looks at the, she does a Mona Lisa there, Mona which is Lisa. really great. Um, that Jennifer did all by herself. I'll show you my favorite shot right there. there oh, that is nice. That's a really good shot. It's up for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I hope this is the point where people turn this off. Uh, is there anybody else you want to thank? We have so much to talk about we didn't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, let's do this again. All right. That was a good warm-up. Yep. I'm ready now. Thank you for listening to Commentary. If you like the show, tell your friends. We think there's a lot to be learned from these recordings. Home video commentaries are insightful works that are becoming less and less accessible to viewers and should be preserved and shared. Commentary collects and presents classic and contemporary DVD commentaries in podcast form, so you can listen to them wherever and whenever you want. This podcast was created as a public service and is not monetized. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you.